Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Uberworld to 4X, this is the Pratchett Podcast. Episode 40! Please excuse the dog. She's rather noisy. Hello and welcome back to the Project Podcast. It's a new year and with new reviews to do. And well, that was a nice little surprise in the post from Colin. So, hey, there's another episode we've got there. But first of all, we'll be cracking on with the news. Times. Times, get your ankle book. Times, times, get your ankle book. Times. So, here we are back with the news. Now, only one bit of news worth of notes in case it slipped by you. The fact that the publishing date for the last book in the Long Earth series has been given. And it's due to come out on the 14th of July 2016, and it's called The Long Cosmos. So this will be the last book, as far as I'm aware, as far as original new material is concerned. Yes, there are other books and and stuff coming out, uh, various illustrated versions of... uh, (laughs) Small Gods is getting an illustrated version, the most annoying book of all! Oh, man, why can't I just do that for the Night Watch? Anyway, before I start blabbing and get myself tied in knots and really frustrated about small gods getting an illustrated book, um, we'll move on to the new members of the Watch. It's going to be a long list. Oh, God. Welcome to the Watch. Sergeant Detritus over there will swear you in. Detritus! Yes, Mr. Vines. So as I said, the new members of the watch list is a really long one. I've had worse, yes, it's true, but it does go over a couple of pages. So we shall start from the beginning, okay? As we say, Uberwald. Leon Adler, John Hobson, Anton P. Um, I'm not even been able to pronounce that one. Uh, Baltayev. Oh, Dave's gonna have quite a lot to laugh about. That's Dave Williams. Uh, Jitka Parianova. I'm sorry. Doodle Jock Jock. Mm-hmm. Someone who's been reading the uh, Three Women once too often. Eileen Tracy. Sam Bolton. Tozen Oshindella. Jane Edwards. Jason Grimm. Okay, it's a partly Turkish name. Oze Tulkurin Posha. Eh, I've admitted that one. 
sorry, uh, Laza Ajakchik, Simon Okora, Andy Mooney, Dylan McCall, Martin van der Krift, Lee Nutbeam, Carol Fogg, Andy Poole, Chris Everest, Stephen Quinn, Jim Moore, Natalie V. Sharp, I suppose that's supposed to be very sharp as a joke, Rob Jones, Jill Williams, that's Jill Williams, Tom Aubrey, Charlie Allerton, Matt Evans, Neil Peter Wallace, Richard Brown, Keith Evans, Leah uh, Skelcorn, I'm not even trying to pronounce the middle name, I'll just kill it, Stephen Johnson, Fraz Fox, Pete Bryant, uh, Aurora Turkan, Liana Berry, Carol Fogg, Rita Kerbler, uh, Ruta Aura, she's got a longer Celtic name, I've asked for pronunciation help but I've got no answer, sorry, Colin Crapper, yes, the Crapper's a real name, that's where the name came from in the first place, for the Crapper, <sighs> go get Wikipedia it, Rosie Parsons, Doz, Doz Yell, it's the other way around, Hel Marzi, Sarah Zay, oh, Sarah Zay, huh, Sarah Zay, like that, this is, this. you know, it's a real name, this reminds me of a, a piece of music, um, <clears throat> Emily White, Matthew Marshall, Dweezil Wood, somebody's father was obviously a fan of Frank Zappa, uh, Pauline Harris, Lusach, uh, Jeremick, Brendan Durkin, Emma Albion, John Hope, and Sandy Behrman. So, if you would like to join the watch, basically this is fairly easy, if you have a Facebook group, not everybody has a Facebook group, work colleagues surprised me yesterday, very young guy, doesn't have a Facebook account, quite surprised to be honest, anyway, if you do have such a thing as a Facebook account, if you type in the search field, that's the one with the one that looks like a magnifying glass, the Pratchett podcast you will find and find us and just click on the add me thing and I will put you in and you will join this list and be read out on the next podcast. So if that's that for the Yeah, well that's that for the watch. Let's go on with Collins Claxis. I'm gonna have to rename this to Collins Claxis. Clacks. Well, as always with Colin, it's a nice long one, and uh, I split it off actually into two parts. Um, next part will be in Small God Cemetery. Uh, as a sort of nice thought. Anyway, first of all, from Colin, the truth. I've always thought this as a milestone book, not because. It's overly significant, uh, significant compared with the others, but because it says the 25th Discworld novel in a printed ribbon on a dust jacket. I remember thinking, wow, there's 25 books in the series. What other author can boast that? Well, Colin, um, not in a series, no. You're right, not in a series. 
Other authors can boast 25 books, but not in a series. It's true. Anyway, carrying on. Of course, nowadays, with a bit of resequencing and including the science books, the truth seems to, seems like more of a midway point, if not a mathematical one. But to the book itself. It's a story about newspapers and journalism. I feel that Terry did not have uh, a look, f have to look very far here to produce this book. Oh, David's going to be laughing his socks off here. This is not a criticism, as he was uh, able to pull on his extensive knowledge of being a journalist in the late 1960s. I do wonder how many of the other stories uh, submitted to the Times in Admiral Pork uh, actually come directly from Terry's own experiences. Uh, well, uh, Anybody who lives in the UK, Colin, will know a thing about oddly shaped vegetables. At least from back then, they've all disappeared now due to normalisation. Hmm, maybe that's a campaign, a campaign we can start. Bring back odd shaped vegetables. You can't even go, you can't even have a laugh at a supermarket these days. Anyway, carrying on. <clears throat> the press itself is described as being hungry for more stories. And I can imagine the young Terry going all over the Buckinghamshire countryside looking for something which to feed it. He learnt quickly that many people wanted stories that confirmed their worldviews. As William says, what people think they want is news, but what they really crave is old. Uh, veterinary says that at first. Anyway, uh, Terry also seems to give his opinion of shall we say, less reputable press in guise of the Inquirer paper run by a guild of engravers. Yes, just insert Sun, Mirror, Daily Mail. Oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> carrying on. It literally makes up its stories with the help of Mr. Dibbler that are based on the fact that although they may not be true, they could be true, especially if they take a place in foreign parts. Yeah, that sounds very much like the Daily Mail. Anyway. One of the major plots centres around yet another attempt to remove veterinary from power. The committee to unselect a patrician hire the new firm. Uh, I shall need to keep an idea on that. I'll explain what the new firm's about later on. Anyway, two thugs known as Mr. Pin and Mr. Tulip. These two characters are very similar to characters of Mr. Krupp and Mr. Vandermar from Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere which was published a few years before this to book. To my mind, all four of these characters are similar to the murderous duo Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd from James Bond movies, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Okay, I'm going to explain this now. Um, I think they may be more uh, akin to The Management, which was a hail and pace uh, comic character set up, Colin. So you might have to go and have a look at that. It's a bit more sort of... The, the one was sort of the, the brain's... And the other one's sort of the brawn. Anyway, going on. Both authors deny this. Terry is saying on uh, uh, iSpace. Fiction and movies are full of pairs of bad guys that pretty much equate to Pilip and Pin and Tulip. Oh, Pin and <clears throat> That's why I used them, and probably why Neil did too. Effectively, they are just the archetype characters that will turn up time and again. My least favourite part are other parts of books, other bits with Fowl Ron and his group. I don't know why, I have never liked these characters, but they don't, they just don't gel. Okay. I don't, I know I'm in the minority, people have loads of fun on Discord monthly Facebook, uh, Facebook page, talking about ducks, or rather not talking about ducks, and to be honest, so do I. But the characters themselves, meh. That's what Colin said anyway. Lastly, 
Terry's love and probably frustration with the latest gadgets of the time comes through with the return of the disorganizer Mark II. As William says, I used to have an early version of this. The imp said, what happened to it? I took it back to the shop because it's not working properly, said William. That's a relief, said the imp. You'll be amazed at the, sun, the terrible things that people do to the Mark I when it went wrong with it. It got flung through the third floor window, said William, for being unhelpful. Yeah, that's true. All in all, I really like this book. Arguably, it should have not have, uh, as I have big problems with British print media. Before I came to this country, I believed in a free press. Now I do not. Some regulation is required, as self-regulation has failed. What immediately leads to question, by whom? We need a veterinary. However, that is politics. And in the UK, good luck. Uh, the book does not pose the question of what responsible press, what is a responsible press, but what is silly enough to try and answer it. In the end, William the Word just aims to do the best he can, which is what any responsible journalist should do. Cheers, Colin. So, cheers, Colin. Uh, if you, like Colin, uh, want to send an email in, just send an email to Pratchett podcast at gmail.com that's pratchett podcast at gmail.com and we shall be carrying on in a sec with colin as we're moving on to the fools guild Sorry, I, I made a mess up for, uh, beforehand. It wasn't Small God Cemetery, it's Fool's Guild. I'm on, uh, <clears throat> yes, all mixed up. This is the beginning of the new year. Why should things change like that? Anyway, this is a Fool's Guild. It's a review of the theatrical version of Masquerade from Golin. Why did you do it like that? Oh yeah, Masquerade. Mm. No, anyway, <clears throat> thoughts drifting. Colin says, last December I toured off to Cambridge to see Masquerade. This is the second time I've seen this play. Why am I going to WCMODT? Sorry, mate. Last being in December 2013, I reviewed in episode... Yeah, I don't know, Colin, either. It would be what episode in December 2013 was. Jeez, that's two years as of recording December's episode so <clears throat> it is interesting how different groups put their own interpretation of Stephen Briggs script on a previous occasion it was performed by the uh, Chesham Theatre Company this time it was by a theatre group called Boards of B-A-W-S I've heard of those uh, more to do with, with relations living in that area at the moment so both groups have put on a lavish production Boards used use their stage and well made use of a movie projector to display pieces like the ghost's letter and the deaths of some characters. These were shown in a sepia style which is based on the 1925 silent movie of Phantom of the Opera, complete with the manic uh, intertiles uh, containing many, 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 many exclamation marks. Yes, you know what there are many exclamation marks now. Where's that? A sure sign of madness, that's what it was. Yes, Colin actually has put footnotes into this. <clears throat> Very good. 
Love it. Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og were played uh, by Madeline uh, Forrester and uh, Mandy Cattle Forrester, who uh, had played the character before in the group's uh, 2013 production of Weird Sisters. Uh, brought forth Granny's uh, haughtiness and auteur. Uh, Cattle played a rather modern interpretation of Nanny Og. This Og had many tattoos, many I suspect represent former husbands, one of whom was called Bert. Oh, Bert. Uh, another had a rather unfortunate initials of STDJ, uh, but uh, Cattle brought the character to life with a plum. And certainly you can imagine this Og as the one who writes the joy of snacks. I did have one question in regards to pronunciation of Nanny Og's first name of Githa. I have only heard it pronounced in the audiobooks read by various talents of Tony Robertson, Nigel Plainer or Stephen Briggs. I have become used to it being pronounced with a hard G. However, they pronounced it here as Gaither. Hmm. Githa, I think you may be right, yes. Uh, which seems odd. It's very odd. But there's a few things odd around about Cambridge, so I wouldn't worry about it. Um... Otherwise, you wouldn't have things like uh, the, 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 uh, well, basically, uh, no Douglas Adams and the Monty Python bunch, just to mention, but a, a few. Um, Catamol, uh, Kate Catamol and Sarah Middle played Agnes Nitt and Christine. Catamol certainly portrayed the uh, rather put upon Agnes well, showing her character as someone who wants to be one thing and knowing that she's destined to be something else. Middle plays Christine annoyingly well. Uh, by that, of course, I mean the character who is so self-centred she thinks she is magnetic and everything revolves around her. My favourite passage in the book is the scene where Granny and Nanny are viewing the opera after upgrading their tickets to the gods. Yeah, that's a downgrade. Uh, and Nanny's first doll uh, causes a bit of mayhem. Boards played this scene directly from the book. The Cheshire players had shortened a bit and made use of what looked like, from a distance at least, quite a realistic cat prop. He certainly got the impression of Grebo exploring and generally making fr uh, friends to great hilarity. Speaking of Grebo, when it came to his transformation, he was played by uh, Jonathan Tottman. Tottman, who earlier had performed the part of Dr. Undershaft, seemed to use the uh, method style of acting for his role, and certainly embodied a part, as he remained in the character throughout the rest of the play, even when he was on in the background. Last to mention is that he had uh, this play had credits, which is unusual for a theatre, but as they said, they were on screen for all for the benefit of all those too stingy to buy a programme. And again, they made the use of projector and played it in a sepia style. Accompanying the credits was a theme to a rather well-known uh, well round-the-world round show, but completely hilariously reworked. Uh, I wish this version titled Opera Not a Pretty Sight could be released, but someone called Andrew may have raised an objection. Ah, so, alright, okay, so it's a, a, a reworking of a Andrew Lloyd Webber piece, I think. All in all, this was an excellent production. I hope this does more than uh, Stephen Briggs and Detections. Uh, and I'm looking for a certain... There's a second footnote here from Colin. Uh, although not necessarily in comments in Shepherd's Crown. You know, I missed that. Ah, oh, there it is. 
So, someone, the part tries, Agnes was shown her character as someone who wants to, and knowing that she's destined to be something else. Okay, second footnote from Colin uh, pertains to Agnes. Also not necessary from a comment in The Shepherd's Crown. So she's put upon sort of thing. Okay, well, cheers Colin, that's a brilliant review. And if you want to self put a review in, then once again... Just send me an email to pratchettpodcast at gmail.com and I shall put it into the, um, what they call the Fool's Guild, which is basically that sort of entertainment or new releases uh, part of the book, uh, say, uh, part of the podcast. You know, if there's a, a new audio play or there's a book being just released and it'll get a short review in that part, don't worry. If it's short reviewed there, it'll get a long review later. So... Now on with my review of The Truth. There are, it has been said, two types of people in the world. There are those who, when presented with a glass that is exactly half full, say, this glass is half full. And then there are those who say, this glass is half empty. The world belongs, however, to those who can look at the glass and say, What's up with this glass? Excuse me. Excuse me. This is my glass? I don't think so. My glass was full. And it was a bigger glass. So, if you're carrying on, the truth. The truth is the 25th Discworld novel and the fourth individual novel. Well, it's, called, it's part of a series I like to call the... Uh, the, the Ankh-Morpork series and it was uh, first released in uh, 2000 on Double Day and came 193rd in the big read for that year so if you want to go ordering it the ISBN is 0385601026 that's 0385 601026 and well what can we see about the truth the truth uh, well a lie will get its boots on before the truth has gone around the world so um, something like that like, exactly the truth the lie a lie will have gone around the world a couple of times before the truth has at least got its boots on I think there's the rough quote on top of my head anyway um, this is what happens when uh, Terry introduces uh, the printing press uh, to Ant Morpork. Quite a bit like uh, what happens to the printing presses as they were introduced into uh, European culture uh, in sort of the, um, well, basically the times of Martin Luther. And I don't mean Martin Luther as Martin Luther King, I mean the. Uh, the the German um, priest Martin Luther, um, because that's when things like the Bible started. Um, instead of being these hand embellished, hand finished pieces of artwork, which they still ended up being, you know, it was nice presentation pieces uh, when the, the the Bibles were done like that. But that's the Bible for the everyman. That's where the uh, basically part of this comes from uh, is around the time of the the basically the split of the church into Protestant and to the Catholics at least in mainland Europe so 
But this is more the sort of case of uh, when newspapers started getting printed as such, uh, as it's, it's basically the thing you can say about Terry is about his research. He knows his history because this is how the sort of newspapers did start as basically as somebody doing a newsletter uh, from London and then sending it to sort of uh, around the big houses uh, with the people who had sort of fortune of £10,000 and, and such like. We're talking about uh, times where Jane Austen was a new novel sort of thing. It just came out. So £10,000 is roughly the same of as having you know millions and millions of pounds these days. Uh, where people made their wealth uh, in one of two ways, either being born into it or actually going into them, having a little bit of money, going into military, and there were a lot of military campaigns at the time, uh, basically the, the captains and that, uh, basically what they did is they went out, had their military campaign and came back really wealthy. Why was that? Ah, is the British Army of the time, and we'll say looting was prevalent, and whoever managed to keep their looted won. It's nasty to say, but it's it's uh, it's romanticised them uh, in the Jane Austen books. To be honest, very romanticised. Anyway, the truth, apart from being the twenty fifth uh, this world book, uh, it re introduces to us to William de Word, and. Sakarissa Cripslock, who uh, pop up basically and quite often in the Ankh-Morp pop um, books from now on, uh, whether it be in the Watch books or um, especially when it comes to um, the books containing Moist from Litvig in them. Uh, so basically, uh, William is, is the black sheep of an influential ankh family. And, and basically has enough, uh, had basically enough of his family. It happened quite often at those times as well. Uh, but those people ended up being uh, things like um, priests in the church and that, and having a nice little um, vicarage somewhere where another wealthy relative lived and that sort of thing. But uh, this time, uh, William is uh, a person who decides, I'm going to make my own uh, way and not have to rely on my family. So he does. So what he does is, as I said, he makes uh, money as a, as a scribe and uh, he produces a little newsletter uh, for foreign notables. Well, I say it's foreign notables, but, you know, uh, the King of Lanka as, as, as an example and the uh, Al-Khali's uh, big guy as well. But uh, also on this thing, uh, you've got the plot points of uh, is it having to do this without spoilers in a way. Well, I won't spoil endings and how it really starts getting into things, but basically the setup is there's a group of wealthy Ankh-Morpork citizens uh, who hire Mr. Slant to hire the management. I'd say the management, my, my personal thing is... Uh, Terry says it's based on this and this, but you can the way that they are actually they sound like and the way that I think they look, they remind me a lot of Hale and Pace's the management. You can look them up on YouTube, Hale and Pace the management, which were actually just a, a pair of guys who were just uh, you know uh, bouncers really to be honest. But anyway, now you've got uh, the committee that wants to unelect the uh, petitioners to hire the management, Mister Pin, Mister Tulip. 
and uh, they find uh, way off uh, Pseudopolis a guy who's basically the spitting image. Uh, this guy, uh, Charlie, will in future books also uh, come to the fore as well. So, uh, but uh, getting back here, and uh, the thing with the the planet starts going to dogs uh, as soon as, uh, well, quite literally go to the dogs because of waffles and uh, also um, the, the fact that they tried to uh, do Drumnot in, who's who's got a, very much a lack of imagination. So, um, yes, so this is sort of thing. Now, other characters that come in, uh, as Colin mentioned, we've got the uh, foul old Ron, and his his band of uh, merry people, uh, who is joined by Gaspode once more. Uh, Gaspode basically uh, renames himself Deep Bone in this, uh, to quite a lot of jollies, to be quite honest. Uh, rather like the way that he handles this. Uh, now, Mr. Pin and Mr. Tulip. Mr. Pin is a very prim and proper uh, sort of guy. Uh, you can sort of uh, equate him to uh, the the bookkeeper that's the uh, that's that's the patrician has, who later is also a, a part time member of the watch. Uh, but uh, Mr. Tulip, Mr. Tulip is, an, uh, despite his affiliation for the word ing, uh, you know, it's a way of putting swearing with not actually swearing in the book. And so nobody can really say that they're uh, any way at least um, properly offended. But he's also a, a delight, especially when it comes down to a bits of, uh, <laughs> well, anything that's to do with arts uh, and, and uh, paintings and the like. Everything from building designs to statues to paintings to pieces of music, and it's actually quite amazing. He's it's, it's, it's very funny the way he uh, starts describing um, the pieces of artwork. Well, you see that this, that, and next, and it can't have been from him, it must have been one of his students because of this, that, and the next thing. And his descriptions are absolutely fantastic. But he is this, he's supposed to be this big bull of a man. Uh, who basically will do anything chemical. He mistakes anything to do with drugs to being chemical, who he says uh, drugs are chemicals and then chemicals equals drugs, and he's wrong. So you have him snuffing anything from mothballs um, to the one time he actually got uh, got sold some curry powder by mistake. So that's uh, Mr. Chili, which is absolutely fantastic in the, in the whole book. He's one of my favourite characters. Um, you have the uh, other characters you have is um, uh, the, the boys from the press, um, who are also uh, very well because uh, put across due to the fact that uh, when he's been introduced to the print machine, that uh, these guys, these are what they are, these are the, the down to earth worker guys who will get you your stuff done. They are quite what we call um, the. the um, well, what we call them is uh, artisans, the proper artisans of the trade. Um, there used to be lots of them around, and not so much more these days as it uh, seems to be uh, you get your guy in to do your job and everything's done by managers who have actually nothing 
learned nothing much more than being managers, uh, which becomes extremely uh, and painfully obvious to me often. But uh, back in the days, you had your artisans, you were the guys who knew their job. Uh, they could do their job practically hanging by one foot upside down uh, in, in the sleet and the rain and we'll get this stuff done and do such a job uh, that you, you stood there giving it, those guys are brilliant. Um, this happened very much also back in my army time as well. So this is what, probably why I've got uh, uh, such a uh, respect and I'm really happy the way that the uh, the dwarves and their print and press guy, you know, the dwarves who run the print and press has come across because these are exactly these artisans that uh, I, I knew and just uh, had a lot of respect for and actually taught me quite a bit uh, as to what my original trade was. So, you know, literally hanging, uh, back in my army times, uh, literally hanging upside down, uh, repairing a tank in the middle in a rainy, stormy night, and uh, the tank had to get moved because something else was just about to happen, and if it didn't, then we had real problems sort of thing. And, um, yeah, these guys taught me a lot, and... Uh, yeah, forged a bit of my character. I also liked one of the sort of things is uh, pity is missing from here is that the sort of artisans like that would, uh, would come down with their tails. Uh, um, yeah, the tails go further on. The, uh, this is also the introduction of Otto Creek, who has his, um, his his brilliant introduction here. It's probably the most in depth we ever get to see Otto uh, at any one time. Uh, where he has taken his uh, bloodlust and transformed it into lust for light. Quite literally, lust for light. A, a sort of wordplay on lust for life, really. And it's the song from um, oh, Iggy Pop. There we go. Hey, brain didn't fail. <laughs> Happy about that. Anyway, <clears throat> so how can I recommend this book? Um, the book is absolutely fantastically brilliant. Um, but it's one of those ones where you probably go through it twice, as so you can do it one after another without a problem, but don't attempt it a third time, because you start getting a sort of, um, it is a brilliant book, but it's not one that's meant to be read three times or four times in a row, um, so I do recommend it, uh, it's definitely worth four out of five points, at least, leaning towards a five actually, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, plot points are well set out. There are uh, four threads going through, um, which culminates uh, as actually uh, it culminates not as one thread at the end, but uh, two separate threads. Um, but uh, yeah, all I say is you can enjoy this uh, very much. Uh, I do enjoy these sort of books. Um, the one that's actually after this. Uh, as far as the writing goes, uh, is the thief of time, and it's one of those ones that I actually is all sort of grouped together for me. But uh, we'll take another break uh, as I seem to be pining through. Yes, there's only forty-one Discworld books, and I'm pining through these at this rate. I'll be done in less than two years, and I don't want to be through the Discworld books and have all just. All the other books to do afterwards so uh, we're going to mix it up a little bit um, next time around uh, it will be I think Diggers was next one after Truckers so it will be uh, Diggers from the Bromeliad trilogy 
uh, which will be followed uh, by Good Omens the month after that, and then uh, cupping it off with the um, with um, Plains. I think it's the last one. My brain is failing me at the moment. I do apologise. And so we'll be going that. So that'll take us all the way uh, through through a few next couple of months. And I shall research uh, what other books around 1989 I am still missing. 1999 to 1992, because quite literally, um, I just want to keep on at this as for as long as possible, and I don't want to really stop in two years' time saying, "Well, that's it. I've reached the end. I've got nothing else to review." Because this is the Pratchett podcast and not the Discord podcast. If it was this Discord podcast, and I would really be uh, up a tree without a paddle. <clears throat> well, that's how to mix your metaphors, eh? So, I'll say. Goodbye for me for the moment, and shortly death will come along and tell you how to reach the podcast and leave your views, reviews, and other lovely stuff. So until the next podcast, which will be end of February, beginning of March, with uh, Diggers. Uh, once again, thank you, Colin, for the uh, brilliant, 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 brilliant thing that you sent through. Uh, he knows what it is, and when I get to it, I will put a picture up on Facebook as soon as my phone stops trying to turn or the Facebook app stops trying to turn the picture the wrong way around <clears throat> so uh, bye for now if you want to contact us then you can try through the Facebook group the Pratchett Podcast you can also get in contact over the email Pratchett podcast at gmail.com also on twitter the you you librarian he keeps saying ook all the time who knows why Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.